we think things are going to be different when we get over there. But really, it's our relationship to things that change. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap, a podcast featuring Bhavani Sylvia Maki, an international yoga teacher, musician, and author of the Yogi's Roadmap, the Patanjali Yoga Sutra as a Journey to Self-Realization. I'm Shanae Trudeau, a student of Bhavani and a teacher of yoga. These are conversations from the heart. The Yogi's Roadmap podcast explores yoga as a journey of compressed evolution off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Bhavani believes that engaging in the full science and art of yoga uplifts us, deepens our connection with authentic self and to the source of joy within for personal growth and deep transformation. Bhavani Sylvia Maki has been studying the art and science of yoga for nearly 40 years. In her teaching, she interweaves the insights she has gathered into a holistic exploration of the microcosmic and macrocosmic self. Dedicated to exploring yoga in its complete expression, her teachings are steeped in the traditions of Patanjali's classical eight-limbed yoga, with an emphasis on integrity of alignment and the use of yoga as a powerful tool for healing. This project was conceived out of the desire to have more, deeper, intimate conversations with my teacher, and a request from one of Bhavani's own teachers, Rama Joyti Vernon, who once said to her, let's get you out of the jungle and into the world. Bhavani lives on the island of Kauai, Hawaii, with her husband, Ray, and their son, Nico. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast, off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Just a quick reminder that leaving a five-star review on iTunes only takes a couple of minutes and really helps us to get the word out and helps people find the podcast. Thank you so much for your continued support. Welcome back to episode 10 of the Yogi's Roadmap podcast. I'm so excited to share this interview with Bhavani Maki and myself and I'm thrilled that you're joining us today. You could be spending your time elsewhere, listening to other things, and I, for one, am really grateful that you've chosen to listen to us today. Enjoy the episode. Okay, I'm sitting here again with Bhavani Maki, and we are hosting the Yogi's Roadmap podcast. <laughs> it's really great to be here with you, Bhavani. Thanks, Shanae. I look forward to what uh, queries you're cooking, and they're always good because they always leave me with a lot of inquiry as well. Great. Well, this one I've been um, sitting with for a long time. I really look forward to asking this, and it starts with, I really, really want to go there, (laughs) and by there, I mean... I really want to make this one precious life count and I want to make a difference in the world. 
I've heard you pose the question many times, do you want enlightenment or do you want true intimacy? And it's funny because my first response when I hear this question is always, I want enlightenment. And then my second response is like, oh, wait, I mean, I want intimacy. Can I have both? Absolutely. Um, You know, I believe... Yeah, you know, I um you know, I think that question helps us to discern that they're not mutually exclusive. In fact, they're deeply entwined with one another. And it really helps us to dismantle our ideas of what enlightenment is. You know, it's really um, you know, and a lot of the the gross misinterpretation has to do with Again, the hijack of yoga and spirituality to monastic communities. But really, you know, <clears throat> it's so much, it's so much deeper than that. It's so much more primal. You know, mm-hmm. it's interesting. We we just opened the the sadhana pada, which is the more practical chapter in the Yoga Sutras. And it's for the student whose awareness is more extroverted. They're they're a householder. And in our lineage, um, you know, the teacher of teachers, Krishnamacharya, his teacher, I, I shared with in a past podcast, how at the end of his tenure with Rama Mohan Brahmachari, Brahmacharya, um, his teacher exacted his recompense. And not only did he say, I want you to be a yoga teacher when Krishnamacharya had multiple doctorates. Um, and could have had really secure kind of jobs and very, um, like very high status kind of jobs within the spiritual and the, the spiritual erudition tradition. But he said, I also want you to have a family. And some of these positions actually precluded that he was a brahmacharya, that he was sannyas, that he wouldn't be a householder. Now, Rama, Rama Mohan Brahmacharya, by various purports, they say he had as much as a, as many as twelve children. And Krishnamacharya said that you know women are the lineage holders of yoga because they're more trustworthy. A, of course, these are sweeping generalizations. Please don't be offended. But also because women set the tone of harmony in the family. Um, you know, they're the ones who really kind of inspire, they're the motivators. So the reason that I'm sharing this is the importance of the, the legacy of yoga as being one of relationship, being one of, um, you know, the sense of the jati and carrying the light for future generations. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says the two most challenging yogas, the first is to be a mother. It's also the highest yoga because you surrender your body as you knew it. I mean, you basically become a host. I remember my my yoga student who was my OB and she said, yeah, it's basically a parasite on your body. And then she laughed and she said, for the next 20 years. (laughs) So you become a host. 
you know, there's certain things that mothers can do, like give birth and nurse that others can't. So that's very challenging. And then the second most challenging is relationship. Now, if you're fortunate enough to um, not just choose because of pheromones and oxytocin, but there's some real connection and some commitment there, you're really sorting through things on the intimate level. And I know in my own relationship that, um, you know, my, my husband is, is very um, learned in many different modalities of the metaphysics and yoga, as am I. And there's the aspect of the super spiritual ego. <clears throat> the super spiritual ego, you, you, you have some kind of um, meme or quote or shloka or shastra or sutra for any situation. But then as far as how it penetrates us, when we have that kind of interface with another person, you know, if we have um, self-awareness, it becomes self-reflective, right? That person becomes the guru, they become the mirror for us. And we're gonna see where, um, you know, we've erected um, barriers you know, barriers or where our triggers are. Um, I know in my, my personal relationship, what attracted me the most to my husband now is one of the, the, the kind of like spurs under the saddle where it can be a challenge. So we, we, can, we can see that tendency to be black and white in our thinking. So you know, the other thing is you can't change anybody else's mind as much as you try to. That was hard one wisdom. Okay. Hard one wisdom for me. And I thought, oh my God, I've been trying to change my husband's mind. I can't do that. What is, what, what can, what do I have power over and having respect for somebody else's timing? So then, you know, that aspect of, of yuttana manas, where our energy is going outwards and trying to shift things that we don't have control over, we're faced with ourselves, you know? And it's such a um, powerful, potent, and difficult process to discern and ascertain what is... Um, what is a soul's desire and what's a longing and what we can give ourselves? Um, what is overreaching? What is just another form of things not being good enough in our minds that we're creating another barrier? So we develop, we start to develop intimacy with ourselves and find those interior longings. And it's said that someone who is awakened has really developed intimacy with themselves. So they're aware of where, you know, the, the vasana, the wound is, the wish behind the wound, the deep longing. They're aware of where there's just basically vritti or interference happening in their minds. It's maybe a, a, a diatribe that has become entrenched within, the, um, within our neurology and to start to listen inwards. Yoga practice is so beautiful that way because 
you know, when we're not just thinking through our practice, it, it is a highly technological process. So we do need to know the, understand how to do the poses in a way that supports our physiology for homeostasis and, and clear mind, clear heart connection. Um, but then when we can get out of the, the mind, when we're practiced enough, you know, and hopefully it's being in, introduced to us where there's a real, the foundation is our breath, because when we're in our breath, we're with all of life. And our breath never lies. It always reveals. So when we get intimate with that, we can see where, okay, here's my threshold. And, and we're, we're, it, it's that feeling of like, I really want to do it as you were expressing, you know, that, that there's somewhere I want to get to or somewhere I want to go to. I really believe yoga is being on that threshold all the time and opening new doors. So can we have alignment? Can we have alignment? Um, can we have enlightenment unless we have intimacy? And it's a very, very rare thing, Shanae. The capacity for intimacy. Um, and that is a primal longing. Those of us who want it and are really doing the work to, you know, we can, we can imagine like the peel of the onion, how thin it is and how easily it adheres to surfaces. This peeling back, as Patanjali says, it's an endless process. Because when we're in true intimacy, <clears throat> we're always discovering parts of ourself and parts of another. And self becomes the capital S in which it's like there's, there's, no, there's no bounds. So that ability um, to be transparent, to be connected to that primal longing is indicative that you, I love, I love what, um, oh no, I'm trying to remember his name now. He's an Irish poet. It'll come to me, but I've read this to you before in his, his um, latest publication, David White, about, you know, it's so close. It's so close. It's already here. It's, in, it's within reach. So yeah, you know, intimacy, um, I believe, is the precursor, it's the prerequisite for getting, getting lightened up. And in the, the sutra class yesterday at the end, one of the students was sharing how um, she's working with a sponsor in the 12 step program. And in that first sutra, Tapa Svadhyayeshvara Ishvara Pranidhana Kriya Yoga practical yoga, yoga and practice is tapas. The first ingredient is you got to be in touch with your ache, with your longing. This is what is the inner fire that fuels us. And it's, it's about conserving your energy. So seeing where you get wrapped up in the spirals and the vritti, 
the story that just continues to play itself over and over again. And eventually it's like going into a movie theater and you're like, oh my God, I've seen this whole movie. I'm get, I'm, I'm going to leave now. Then we can open, you know, a new storyline or we can, we can have, um, you know, creativity within our story. So, you know, seeing where our energy is being sucked into these spirals, sometimes certain relationships are just so um, unreciprocal or combative or flat um, that we might even pull out of that relationship. That might be another person. It might be the relationship with the theme that keeps replaying in our mind, right? And we can reappropriate that energy towards like piercing ourselves, you know, getting deep, like, what is this feeling? And, um, you know, what am I, what am I not seeing? How am I, how, how am I creating a, a barrier between myself and is the longing an expression of the, of the, the receiving, you know, it's like we have to put the call out. And then svadhyaya means one's own and one's sweetness. So through our own self-examination, and sometimes, you know, it's like that story keeps playing. And then we have to be really aware of the mind's obsessive tendencies. The mind tends to obsess. And then, you know, these longings are very real, but when we can see like, oh my God, I know, I know what the story does. It just spins me out. And if I go down that rabbit hole, it's like you almost get a, you almost get inebriated by it and then hung over. Like it's, it's unkind. So there's a certain point, you know, we have to, we have to um, lance the wound and go into it, but then there's a certain point where we seal it and we don't need to excavate because we know that we've gone to depths with it and it's, it's a way of rewounding ourselves. So that's Svadhyaya. And also this implies, um, you know, studying the lives of luminaries, of those who rose above their difficult circumstances and really championed um, certain values or certain um, character aspects like Martin Luther King. And they, they championed it. And even Gautama, Buddha, you know, in the, in the moment before his enlightenment, he was confronted by these inner demons. You know, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I want to be enlightened? Because I want to be, um, you know, glitterati enlightened, or I want other people to see me be enlightened, or, you know, why am I doing this? And when it's really for the act of intimacy, that sense of being a bodhisattva where, um, you know, I don't want just this for myself. I want others to have it so we can all really enjoy the um, abundance and this Goldilocks planet and this Goldilocks incarnation, right? And then Ishvara Pranidana is that trustful surrender into something bigger. 
that love is going to be bigger than we had imagined it. So, you know, it is yoga is a practice of intimacy. And I remember um, I even wrote it in my book, you know, the ideas that we have around enlightenment. I was raised really classically. And of course, it was you know, in the East, this is where it's tricky because we're taking Eastern metaphysics into a Western culture. And so there's a different lens. Um, it said that samadhi or super paranormal consciousness, um, you know, is the goal. But then it also says it's grace. It's not something you can do. There's actually a letting go that allows that to happen. And isn't that the process of intimacy is one of letting go. Um, and it can be very scary to let go. We think, well, if I don't, if I let everything go, I'm going to be left empty. But then we see that our essence is already there, that what you really need can't be let go of because it's already, it's who you are. It's your mission. It's your vision. Yeah. So we're going to all be faced with that. And, you know, having somebody who loves you and is committed enough where you can have those difficult conversations and where you can own your own longing and you can say your longings without them becoming defensive. Well, that's quite a journey, isn't it? I don't believe they're mutually exclusive. I believe they're inclusive. And that's why I pose that question. And it usually kind of, you can see people have a full body vritti who haven't, you know, like who saw the two as exclusive. So perhaps, you know, we, we can only, um, you know, uh, hypothesize where that comes from. But I have a feeling it comes from this the sense of the monastic tradition that the two are mutually exclusive. But they're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that ache, you know, that deep ache doesn't ever seem to go away. And I'm not sure that I want it to, but sometimes it's really hard to bear. Yeah, you know, this is um, where yoga is so much about unwinding the trauma. And everybody has had trauma to some extent. That, that's already been scientifically proven, if you want to look at that. And that trauma touches every part of our life. So the trauma never goes away, but our relationship to it changes. And in some ways, um, that's what keeps us as empathic beings. It, it, it's part of our collective nervous system and paying attention. It's, it's kind of what we need to have as a bodhisattva, but rather, you know, and I've spoken about this, rather than moving from the wound, we speak to the wound we we heal the wound in the way that we're moving so we're we're informed we have intimacy with it with us but 
there there's a whole different neurology that occurs when we're when we're moving from trauma versus when we're moving from um you know reconciled trauma we're gonna have the triggers this is actually the next sutra in the mentorship <clears throat> Samadhi artha kleshatanu akaranarthascha. That um, what we're doing is we're tanu, which is the thinning, the thinning of the involuntary drivers or the cords, the where where we've got hooks, and some hooks are deep. Some go back generations. Some are ubiquitous within our culture. And so our ability to get those hooks out or, or see where those cords are pulling on us and the, the practical aspect of yoga described in the second pada or chapter is how we can use the bottom to top therapies of asana and pranayama to See, you know, it's like in yoga, we want to feel where that threshold is, where, where things start to shake. And the shaking, you know, if we're really skilled, shaking is a way that we unwind trauma that's held in our tissues. And you'll see animals do that. They just shake. They unwind it. To use our breath so that we're able to gain comfort in an area that used to put us into fight or flight or freeze. So we're, we're learning, and by thinning these, these attachments or drivers, this is samadhi, homeostasis, reclaiming your wholeness. Um, you know, depending on where you're at, it's, it's self-regulation so that we can touch things that were too difficult to touch. And so samadhi is a result of thinning those cords so that they don't create such a volatile reaction. And as my teacher Ramajati would say, of reverting trauma back to pure prana. So something that would send us spiraling maybe for weeks, eventually might just take a few days, might just take a few hours, might take a few breaths, and then eventually we can see the spiral like, oh my God, if I start obsessing over that, I'm digging my own grave. I'm not going to do that to myself anymore because it's unproductive. I'm not going to participate in this. It's unproductive and it just um, is a form of self-sabotage. So can I trust that there's a way out of this? I don't know it. I don't see it. But that, that love, love, you know, and love in that action of, okay, I'm going to sit with this. And rather than Udara <clears throat> have full-blown reactions, erect defense mechanisms, um, you know, I'm going to be able to just hold that space. And most important is feeling into our state again. Yoga Chitta Vritti Nirodha. Like, what is my state? Unless it's literally, like a lot of times we create um, a situation 
as being urgent and critical. And that's, a, that's something I really had to learn was that when I was in trauma, I would create an urgency around something that wasn't really urgent. So looking at that, and then when I could drop in and chill out, suddenly I would see like all these other possibilities. And sometimes it took a little bit of time. So yeah, being able to get calm, get quiet, even though these are pressing issues or they're deep interior longings that can't be excised, to um, relax into that place, relax into that struggle that's pulling on you and know that it's growing. And then it's a good time to pray. And there's different ways of praying. There's gratitude. And then there's also just saying, I don't know. I don't know. Please help me have, help me to be patient. Please help me to see the gifts that I'm not seeing. And really calling that in is an opening of our minds and our hearts. And this is when that deeper voice of pragya, of innate wisdom, awakens. But how do we get there? It's usually like hidden under all these accretions of the scarring, the callousness, the, the defense mechanisms. <clears throat> First and foremost, we have to identify what our defense mechanisms are. And then it's really powerful when we say them out loud and confess them, especially with a partner because you're detonating the bomb. It's not going to work anymore. Yeah. I just wanted to go back to the thing you said about Udara. Is that one of the states of attention? It is, excuse me. <clears throat> it's one of the states of the Klesha. So we have Prasupta, which um, we know supta from the asanas, it means supine or sleeping or dormant. And depending on the translator and depending on the student and where they are in their, um, in their evolution of their nervous system and their psyche, it might mean that it's repressed or it might mean that it's neutralized, but it has the potential to rear its head again. So this is considered to be the most, um, like it's, it's a very unstable state for those who have repressed it because things that you can't push them down. I always think about like in the water, you can't submerge something. It's going to, it's going to pop up eventually, you know, the, the dead bodies, the skeletons in the closet, et cetera. So it will come up in different ways. And Patanjali as an Ayurvedic physician says, this is what can reveal as disease. And people have had quantum healings when they were able to track it back to these initial wounds and really get in touch with it. A lot of things get suppressed. You know, we might even look back at our own history and realize that there's huge gaps in what we remember. There's certain years that are just very vague and shut out. Then we have Udara, which is like, you know, the pressure's building. It's like the mantle on the earth. And there's all this stuff 
percolating underneath and there's a crack in the surface and there's a full-blown eruption, um, you know, becoming argumentative, combative, um, defensive, offensive, highly reactionary, but at least the pressure is being relieved. And when we can see something full-blown, we're maybe more likely to identify it. And by identifying it, you know, there's neuroscience behind this as well. Vivika Kyapti means we put a name on it, we can get a handle on it. Like, oh, this is triggering my fear. And we might ask, well, what is this fear? What is fear? You know, how does it present in my bodies? Um, <clears throat> and that might put us in the vicina phase, which is the pendulum swinging to extremes where, you know, we might think that we're working through something, but we're suppressing it. I mean, this is, it's not, it's not always clear. It's, um, we have to, we have to be in it to, to develop that clarity. So Vicina would be the extreme behavior. Um, it could be the person who has serial relationships, um, you know, who it's like, we're just going from one extreme to the other, but really those, those poles of opposites are the same pattern. And then Tanu is the phase where, as I spoke about earlier, where we're like, oh, I'm being triggered. Here it is. Do I want to like freak out and, and, and do that violence to myself? Because I know it's not helpful most of the time. Granted, there are certain situations which are really urgent and we need those responses and reactions, but most of the time it isn't. Most of the time it's self-induced. It's that pressure building in us. So, you know, okay, I, I have all these tools that I learned to work with in yoga. How can I find homeostasis? And um, I know that that is unproductive. What might be more productive? So that's the Tanu phase. And eventually, um, let's see if I can remember the, the sutra here. Um, hang on a second. Um, um, I remember the end. <clears throat> that the only residue that remains is this samskara of nirodha, which is a the ability to quickly self-regulate and realize there's possibilities we haven't imagined. So, you know, it's, it's learning to cooperate with life. There's always solutions at hand that maybe we just haven't tried out. Then it's said when that becomes kind of our, our normal state that we realize, okay, well, there, there is Things work out in the end, and each crisis is an opportunity, and we often only see it in hindsight, but I know that because it's proven to be true, and even though this situation, I can't see it, there is something new that is coming out of this molten, hot, like, murky, viscous situation. Something's being created that's never been seen. And I know that to be true. I know that there is a rhythm and order underneath it all that I can't understand intellectually. 
And then it said that we're jivana mukta, we're free to function. So maybe a good way to kind of like titrate this down is being able to discern like, all right, which functions are dysfunctional and which ones are functional. And being in that place of, I don't know, and I can be okay that I don't know, but I'm going to ready myself so that when opportunities arise, I'm not going to miss out on them. I'm going to see them. Yeah, and Tanu is in so many names of the postures, right? It's woven throughout the asana names. And I love the way that Ramajati would translate it as... Um, to go beyond prior self-imposed limitation. Self-imposed, certainly there was some kind of a projection or modeling on us, but um, you know, eventually we, we want to develop personal sovereignty and be really clear and conscientiously um, adopt these methodologies, know when it's time to use them, Know when it's time to put the bicycle away and pull out the kayak when you're navigating this kind of terrain. So to have that skill and have that quiver of tools rather than just being triggered into a certain um, modality. And that requires intimacy, doesn't it? Absolutely. Thank you for going over that. Again, it, it leads quite nicely into my next question about the mind, <clears throat> excuse me, but I want to just back up for a moment and go over this word klesha, because often as I hear it translated, it's, it's, it has a negative connotation, <laughs> but as I'm learning, um, with, like with the language of triggers is that they're not actually bad. They're learning opportunities, but I think in, in our language, you know, sometimes it's very limited in the way it like wants to place like this is good and this is bad over here and I wonder if you can maybe reframe the word klesha or give it a little bit more nuance yeah so klesha means that something kind of like rubs you the wrong way what we think to be the wrong way and you know we we have we, we're, we're here to individuate and again we've had this modeling and so there's there's all of these um unspoken kind of narratives about how we should be what yoga should look like you know that i'm going to be unaffected by the world i'll be floating on this lotus above this cesspool of consensus consciousness and then we go oh my god like this work is messy and I can't just do a posture or chant a mantra without really touching my interior self or I'm I'm alienating parts of myself so Klesha you know we we have kind of like this persona that we're building and certainly social media has aggravated that we can be very careful with filters how we present ourselves um but like as far as our interior being that that that's really what we're discovering through this process of penetration so klesha is where something 
creates friction. And that first word, tapas again, you know, which is that inner fire, that deep longing for authenticity, for intimacy, for connection with self, with others. Um, how do you start a fire? But with friction. So in that first sutra, Patanjali says, unless you're in touch with your pain, you're, you, you're really not going to go far in yoga. I mean, maybe you'll get great buns or abs or, you know, have skill with your breath retention and things like that. But as far as the interior, um, our capacity for capacity, our capacity for love to grow us, to stretch us, when we think we have nothing left, is often when that grace comes in and we're like, wow, you know, I, I'm never going to run out of love. I, I, it's an infinite field I can tap into. So that the klesha are, um, you know, the frictious aspects of life that are here to actually help us to kind of like sand off the rough corners. I always feel like it's working, you know, eventually it's like working with the, um, the grain, the heart to bring out the heart of the wood. And we have to use that friction and that tapas very gently. It's a gentle, it's like, you know, eventually the sandpaper becomes finer and finer. Um, it's just part of life. It's part of the diversity. You know, my nine-year-old son, he's He's in that phase of individuating and he goes, you know, not everybody likes the same thing and not everybody feels the same way. And it's like, yeah, you're right. He says, if it did, the world would be very boring. And here it is out of the mouth of babes. So this is what gives us contrast diversity. Um, you know, we grow through relationship and yoga ultimately is relationship. So a lot of people... I remember reading Baba Haridas, um, Babaji's book on the Samadhi, Sadhanapada. And, you know, this is like maybe 12 years ago. And it goes through the kleshas. And he said, even when you're realized, even when you're awake, the kleshas never go away. And I was like, oh, no, oh, my God. And it was kind of like one of these reality checks. We think things are going to be different when we get over there, but really it's our relationship to things that change. And in those critical moments is what really um, grows and expands and is the test of our integration and our creativity and our courage with calmness that we can find that. So they're never going away, Shanae. <laughs> I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> good thing. And you know, what was revealed in yesterday's um, sutra mentorship class was that in the, um, so someone who has this inner fire and who is in touch with their pain and is willing to sit with it rather than trying to sit on it or projected onto others or um, to get away from it because it just chases us. 
that they're called a tapasvin or the feminine is tapasvini. So they're, they're really like willing to, to work with this stuff because it, they know it holds power and it holds healing. That when the, the, um, the teaching was that when someone insults them or criticizes them, they respond with thank you because it builds compassion. Perhaps it also means when these afflictions arise, we can also say thank you. Okay, this, there, there's, there's some part of me that I'm going to discover that I wouldn't unless I was being pressurized. And it's really hard to do that at times. And maybe it's just a 1% of our field of our sentiment but you know that's the sense of like committed devotion and trusting in the unknown um you know trusting that that there's a bigger force that's evolving us that's sustaining us and that resolves all these situations that 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 shraddha we're not ignoring it we're inviting it in we're calling it in um and then there's a matter of timing it's not always like this it might be a long tedious process that 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 ratio begins to um, expand, you know, and we can be like, I'm forty nine percent scared chitless, and I'm fifty one percent like, I know, I know that there's, I know that I don't know, and I'm open to resolution. I love that. I love that simple act of saying thank you because it's often, you know, sometimes it's easier to deal with other people and, and, you know, things outside of ourselves. And maybe we're really good at dealing with challenging conversations or, um, you know, we're being intimate with another. And yet when it's turned back inside and, one's looking at their own mind. Sometimes I find, you know, especially for myself that I can be so hard on myself. And what are some other tools that we can use to cultivate that discernment and ultimately love (laughs) and real intimacy with ourselves? You know, um, it's really hard because we're such a instant gratification DIY kind of a culture, which, um, you know, is wonderful and a lot like none of these things are terrible, but there's this sense of wanting to fix things and check them off of our list. So being able to really honor and embrace that emotion like, you know, there's the story, there's the real problem, there's the real issue that you're trying to sort out. But then again, there's like our state. And can you sit with that state without trying to fix it or go into the story and feel where it's held in your body? You know, like, where am I feeling this? Where does my breath stop? Where do I feel like all of my energy is getting stuck? What is this feeling? Um, you know, I'm angry and underneath that anger is 
frustration and underneath that frustration is impatience and underneath that impatience is sadness and underneath that sadness is longing and underneath that longing is um, intimacy and healing. So really being able to sit with it. And I know for me, when I'm in it, it can be really challenging because I just want to, my head wants to wrap it up in the story. So I've really learned to, um, you know, through many different techniques and certainly the pelvic floor is where trauma really reveals. It really does. So if we can get our breath all the way down there. And sometimes, you know, there's going to be some convulsive like blubbering or sobbing or whatever that happens. And just like, what, what do I need right now? And then maybe even, you know, like when did I first, when do I remember first feeling this feeling? And I can see myself at that age, whatever it was, and kind of embrace part of myself. So really going to, to the root, um, you know, until we go to that root in the, in the sadhana pada, um, let's see, he talks about it as um, the, the klesha, the karma the sati multa mula means the source. So until we touch the source of it, as much as we feel like we work through things or we might even feel like we're in a groove and a good space in the moment, it's going to come up for us because it's unmetabolized. So being able to touch that part of ourselves and 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 be aware of it, and it's like we're we're um, we're taking that part of ourselves under our wing, the wings being abhyasa, which is checking the downward pull. Like, oh my god, I'm starting to obsess. I'm starting to spiral. This is unkind to myself. Like I'm hurting myself. I'm taking the wound, and I'm I'm continuing to hurt myself. Or I'm projecting it onto somebody else and I'm, I'm bleeding all over this other person in a way that isn't like, that isn't um, productive. And then vairagya is to have clarity with the different colors or the different moods, um, let go of the story and to really see, hold that mood with clarity. And here's the thing, you know, it's like we are, we, we're at, we're like spiritual beings living in a, in an animal body in a physical world. You know, this is part of our aliveness that we can like enjoy, enjoy, not necessarily like, but experience, you know, we're free to function and use those emotions to inform us. But hopefully, you know, eventually in a present way. And Carl Jung said that 70% of what we're feeling right now has nothing to do with this moment, right? So as we start to clear through that stuff, we're going to see where, you know, the wheel of karma is really rotating with we're either in reaction or inaction. 
So like, how do we, how do we get to the center and see where we're hyperactive and where we're frozen and, and hold ourselves in a bigger context. So very practically, I'll just like, for me, I'll be like, oh my God, I'm up here or, you know, in my head or I'm, I'm blocked in my heart. I'll just feel myself start to land. Okay. What is the surface I'm sitting on? What's underneath that? What does, what does it feel like? How is my weight landed? Where am I, where am I pulled up in hypertension? How can I drop into that? And then, you know, when I can do that, what is the feeling behind this? When did I first feel this? Can I hold that part of myself? Because the trauma is when you didn't have, you were helpless. You couldn't, there was nothing you can do. And now I'm not seven years old or 17 years old or 37 years old. I can bring myself into the present moment. If you recall, we've, we've, you know, played with that question. This is sometimes what I'll do too. Is like, what would I have told my younger self? You're going to get through this. You're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So self-soothing, you know. And sometimes crying is a big part of that. Like that's that's the unwinding process. So, you know, it it it's messy. You know, the the soul is messy. It's sticky. It's like putting your hand in compost. You know, there's all these smells and textures, but that that's the the raw stuff that we can cultivate and be nourished from. And knowing that it's hard to see it in the moment. I'm having a vritti. I'm having a moment. It's going to arc. It's peaking. It's peaking. And then it's going to drop. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for mentioning that it's, it's messy and it's not easy. And it's like, I was thinking that um, um, you say, sometimes uh, that we live in a, a problem addicted world. And I just thought that that comes along with um, we live in a, a want to fix it world addiction to wanting to fix it. So, <laughs> yeah. And like sitting with that messiness and with handfuls of, of compost. I love that. Just, you know, dirt and just, you know, cause from that something grows, something can grow, but something also has to be let go of. Yeah. And, um, you know, even something simple as like, you know, they have like an acronym HALT. Am I hungry? Um, am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? So that's where it's like, you know, you can even see yourself as that strung out toddler and it's like okay it's time to have a little something to eat it's time to relax or it's time to get outside and move my body a little bit or for those whose inertia is they're constantly moving it's time to just lay down and or, or take a bath or go for a swim you know get in nature or call a friend 
and instead of unloading, you know, spend some time with somebody else because we can get so um, lost in our own diatribe. So just, just go like taking a, you know, I know you love to ride your bike, right? Like riding a bike is so wonderful because there's just so much prana and the smells and the movement that you're feeling. There's so many ways that we can, you know, just do something that gives us a, a larger frame and experience. So self-care is really important. And that's also one of those misinterpretations of tapas is this self-abnegation, um, this, this penance. It's like, you know, this, um, the hair shirt or the self-flagellation. Um, but really it's a gentle, it's a gentle process of like, okay, how can I, how can I feed this fire? Is it burning too hot? How can I temper it down? How can I be kind to myself and really conserve my energy so that it's utilized in a way that lights, that keeps that inner light going. Self-care is huge. Yeah. Yeah. So take us off the beaten path toward breakthrough experience. <laughs> take me there. <laughs> Can you describe breakthrough experience? Because also I want to just add that, you know, off the beaten path to me is way more interesting and brings a whole lot more curiosity than the, 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 clearly defined way. Yeah. Um, you know, we're all unique individuals and we're all, um, you know, have our, we, it's like, this is where it's so great with the sutras because we can see where our issues when they're distilled down or titrated down, we're all struggling with same core issues but the, the combination, the ratios, there's so many different elements within our, within ourselves and within our lives and our spheres that it's unique to everybody. So as much as we can, you know, Patanjali says, it's like, I can give you these general terms, but ultimately it's your own experience and it's your own adventure about discovering like, your own peculiar and particular needs and self because everybody brings a piece and a part, you know, everybody has that. So it's natural that we're going to have to, um, you know, learn and study under the tutelage of somebody who hopefully has been raised and, and, and taught because there's, there's a modeling, you know, we need, we, we don't have that self-awareness to really watch ourselves. And then eventually it just also becomes a great, you know, we, we see what a blessing it is to have somebody who said, Oh yeah, I've been through that. I remember talking to Rama and, and I was like, I'm really struggling with this. And, and, you know, she didn't seem to struggle with it. And, and she said, well, I did too, but you have to realize that I'm older than you. I went through that. So that sense of like, yeah, you're going to, 
you know, even the transit, it's like, oh, you're going through this transit and that's a natural progression in your, in your own evolution. So as much as, as it's mapped out and as much as we can have companions, it's a very individual experience and we're going to have to find our own way, you know, it's like, how do, how this, this isn't, this isn't really addressing me or this isn't really working for me. And it might be a reframing of an idea or a little tweak. Um, you know, I, the, the breakthrough that happens is, you know, it's that sense of insight where we see a pattern that we hadn't recognized before. And by seeing that pattern, we're no, it's like, we have a different sense of perspective. So then we're like, oh my God, there it is. This is where I've just been spinning my wheels and stuck in a, in a rut and I felt stunted. Maybe I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna leverage this in a different way. So it's really that reframing experience and um, you know, the sutra, that's where, that, that's what, that's the integration. I mean, you, like without the practice, you know, the sutra are helpful, but the practice is how we um, authenticate, you know, these teachings and personalize them for ourselves. But they're going to give us a perspective. And then ultimately, you know, we got to work it out. We have to sort it out about what works for us and what doesn't. And that breakthrough is being able to be like, oh my God, this is something that like, you know, I kind of hid in the shadows because I didn't, you know, I, I didn't want people to realize like how much I'm struggling. It doesn't look good. You know, people will, will maybe question my capacity, um, my viability. So when we see that in the sutras, it's like, oh my God, this isn't personal to me. And then the sangata is where we have these discussions and, you know, through the discussion, we pull the wisdom out of each other. Somebody may say something in a way where it's like, oh my God, that really lands for me. Um, and so that breakthrough is just seeing where you've lived in a very like confined perspective or reality and seeing that there's a different approach that you can do things. So it's like using, it's like maybe like I've been using the hammer upside down all this time and wow, I could turn it over. I could do this and really, really learning how to have skill. So that's like the breakthrough is like the, the neural patterning where we get stuck in a loop and, and rather than just recycling, you know, or reverting to that loop, we can sit with it, you know, sit with the emotion or sit with whatever it is, sit with the discomfort. And there's new pathways that start to open for us. It's a really hard thing to talk about. It is. But <laughs> I it, hope it was effective. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, I want that. I don't know what that is, but I want that. <laughs> yeah. And you've got it, you know, but again, it's like this, this, this um, weight, this burden that we should have it all figured out. And if we don't, there's something severely wrong with us. 
you know, and as I've mentioned before, there's also this, this fad about not having anything figured out and really like festering in the wound. And, you know, when we can get beyond that victim perpetrator and see, you know, as Patanjali says, like the, the, the rough edges, the clashes, the frictions, the frictious energies we experience, um, they're a way of polishing us of getting clear. Um, you know, when we, when we have those crises is when we have to really, like, we don't have the choice to avoid in the same way. And those critical choices, sometimes they have to happen in a moment. In some ways, that's almost better than having to um, ruminate over it for, for a long time. But, you know, we, we, we can tap into, like, our gut knowing and that that's the that's the shining you know we can shine we can feel that shine that luster of our own resilience and by doing that we make the world shine so really i love how um you know if we just like follow like what we love what inspires us you know what we're curious about it helps us to do that. We want to do that on like, and then in those crisis moments, can we, um, you know, it's like, wow, this is really potent for me. There's a lot of energy that's bundled up here. How can I reappropriate this energy in a way that is like going to break down the self-imposed barriers? break down the belief systems, break down the agenda. And what am I, what am I holding on to? Like what's got a hold on me as far as like, what is really interior that, you know, it's like the love languages. What do I really need? I want good. I like want intimate connection through time or through touch or, you know, all of those things. Like, what do I really need? And to see what isn't going to let go of you as well. Um, yeah, that that's really, that's a wonderful adventure. And you have to remind yourself sometimes because Patanjali says you should struggle. Everybody thinks it should be easy. No, you should be struggling with this stuff. So when we can take off the guilt around that and be like, okay, yeah, this is a struggle. It's not easy. I've got to really do some soul searching. Um, and I maybe even have like a map of how it should be, but it's probably not going to be that way. Can I make, can I, you know, I don't have to figure it out all right now, but I can figure out what feels right. And, it, and that may not be easy either. There's this real attachment to this, this sloth and the comfort. But there is that aspect of like, you know, where is our growing edge? It takes time to develop that kind of devotion, you know. Um, but the more that we're aware of it, the more it's strengthened. And we can just hold these issues in balance. And all we need is 51%. <laughs> yeah thank you so much that's 
such a good reminder that it's not supposed to be easy. (laughs) And struggle can have a lot of gradations also, right? You know, there it's then eventually it's just like maybe the dance and Tai Chi, right? That there's movement happening. Anything else you want to say to, um, from today's conversation? Um, like to realize that it's not easy, but that doesn't mean that it has to be terrible that it can be a wonderful creative process. And if, you know, I I've, I've, uh, remember I was sharing sutras many years ago in Portland, Oregon, and there was a psychologist and we were talking about the glaciers and she, she said it, this was so, you know, now it's kind of become part of the common nomenclature, which is wonderful as we're being, being coming more aware of how to work with trauma. Like trauma didn't even exist in the, um, I think it's the DMS is the, the psycho psychology tome. Like 20 years ago, it wasn't even acknowledged. Now it's really acknowledged that it's at the root of most of our challenges, right? The self-induced challenges. And this woman, you know, she said, what I really learned through offering over 30 years of therapy is the nature of our resilience. So we have this feeling like, oh my God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna futz it up, I'm gonna screw it up, I'm gonna make the wrong choice, I'm gonna destroy everything. That's really not the case. That's the black and white thinking. And that, you know, things rarely, you know, we when when we have a blueprint of how things should be and life doesn't match up against it, that's what we call challenge. But actually we can really, there, there's, you know, that's the element of puja. We become so literal in our understanding, but there's magic, there's timing, there's coalescence, there's um, divine providence, there's all of these elements that happen, the sutra really speak about that. And to, you know, when I, when you look up magic, it means working with natural forces with intention. So if we can learn to, it's kind of like working with that when, when you're in a state, when you're in an agitated or aggravated state, if we can whittle things down to the core longing, we're going to realize that it's nothing that we can really put our hands on, that it's, um, you know, it's an ishta devata, which is a, a, a shining quality or attribute that we want to experience and that we already have that, but it's something that we haven't like pulled out of the archives so we can go like, what is it? What is the interior thing that I'm really longing for? How can I give that to myself? Not that you can give it all to yourself, but you can certainly give it. And then that acts as like a magnet that opens the doorway that says, yeah, like I'm resonating at this frequency. And we start to pull in 
that harmonic in ourselves. So really, you know, we tend to overcomplicate things. We're in a lot of ways, really simple beings. And that's part of the tapas as well, is, is, is whittling it down to what it's, it's not a turning away from, but it's an embracing of what, <clears throat> your, what really matters to you and what you're really longing for. It's, it's, um, and, and being patient. Just because I want it right now doesn't mean it's going to necessarily happen on, a, on the grosser plane immediately, but I can cultivate it on the subtle plane. And then that will start to take form. And at the root of patience is trust. All good things and all good time. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for your time. And thank you for these um, salient and potent questions. Calm <laughs> for me too. Till next time. Aloha. <laughs> thank you for listening. I hope this conversation has inspired you to take these teachings on for yourself. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. For more information about Bhavani Maki and her online and in-person teachings, including the Yoga Sutra Wisdom School, online Patanjali Yoga Sutra Mentorship, and her continuing classes and trainings, please visit www.bhavanimaki.com. That's B-H-A-V-A-N-I-M-A-K-I. You will find many resources, including sound bites of the Patanjali Yoga Sutra Samadhi Pada and Sadhana Pada for free, as well as a free yoga class. Thank you again. We hope you've enjoyed these conversations from the heart. Please join us as we continue to walk this revelatory path into deep personal inquiry through yoga as a path toward our unique, true spiritual awakening. Shut